So often, the greatest things keeping us from living the life God has for us is us. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. When we see how God has set us free as individuals in the church, we are unleashed in a rich, powerful, and full life with Him. We are all given a choice. Continue to pursue a life playing it safe or live a life unleashed. In this series, we'll take a look at the lives that had the same choice, safe or unleashed, faith or fear. What did they choose? What will you choose? We hope you enjoy. All right, good morning, West Valley. To those of you that are here and to those of you that are online, we're so glad that you join us, whether it's on Sunday or throughout the week. Um, God is good, amen? amen? So I want to start off with a question. Have you ever had a life-changing experience? Have you ever had a life-changing experience? Well, today as we conclude our series, Unleashed, where we've been talking about faith over fear and looking at some amazing heroes of the faith, uh, we're going to look at a story of somebody that had a life-changing experience. And so before we do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, it is good to be in your house. It is good to be alive. And I agree with Aaron, Lord, with whatever we have on our hearts this morning, uh, that we can present it to you and just know that you're going to listen and that you're going to care and that you're going to love us at where we're at and take us to where we need to be. And God, I know uh, I certainly don't have the ability to do that, but you do through your Holy Spirit. And so help us to pay attention to your spirit who's been here before, today, and afterwards, Lord. Uh, May you do your thing in this place. We love you. We thank you. In the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, all right, let's jump right into our story. Uh, Open up your Bibles. And again, like last week, if you don't have a personal Bible, a physical one um, on your way out, you could grab one off the shelf and just know it's a gift from West Valley. But we believe this is God's word. Amen. And so if you take it, we want you to read it. And uh, we'd encourage you to start with the book of John. If you've never uh, read the Bible, that would be wonderful. So our story is in Mark. It's a gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel means good news. So you're going to hear some good news. You guys ready for some good news? All right. So uh, Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And I want to stop right there, okay? They came to Bethsaida, they being friends, and they brought their blind friend to Jesus. So the stage is set, right? We've got this guy that's blind, we've got Jesus, and then we've got friends that are going to bring the blind man to Jesus. And I want to stop right there, um, because if you're anything like me, And I don't say this lighthearted, I I mean it seriously. I didn't wake up going, I wonder what it's like to be blind. Now, someone in here may have, or someone listening online might have woke up thinking that, or there may be someone here today or listening that is blind. But I, I, I stopped while I was studying, and I thought for a moment, it's really easy just to run by this and not put my feet in this gentleman's sandals. Are you with me? So I thought, you know, like, what, what, what is it like? Now, I know uh, one of my good friends growing up, his dad was blind. So I, I kind of had an up-close look at what life might be like a little bit. Had some friends in high school um, that uh, were blind. And so, 
you know, some ideas. But I was thinking, like, Friday night, for instance. I don't know if you were in the valley here, but Friday night we were starting to set up uh, for the Harvest Festival, which, by the way, was absolutely amazing. Thank you for the hundred plus of you that helped uh, put that together. Uh, from what I've heard, there's right around a thousand people that came, and it was crazy. But we were helping set up. The sun was setting, and I, I don't know if you were outside Friday night. It was unbelievable, the sky. If you were out there, you know what I'm talking about, the puffy clouds and the pink and the orange and the sky. And I got to see that. Someone that's blind doesn't get to see that. I was thinking about uh, being able to see my father's face or my mother's eyes. Someone that's blind, not able to see that. And, And if you're born blind, if you're born blind, like you don't know what the difference is between a purple chair and a yellow chair, right? You just know there's a difference. But you and I, we can visualize that. So those are just some thoughts, but I'm thinking, you know, we read this story and you go, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Like this man had been suffering physically, but he had also been been struggling spiritually. You go, well, pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, to be blind in our culture today could be a physical struggle, But it's not like people walk up to someone that's blind and say, you know what? You're blind because you've done something wrong. Or you're blind because your parents have done something wrong, right? I mean, that would, can you imagine being in an elevator hearing someone say that? You'd be like, what? I don't encourage slapping them upside the face, but that's what you'd feel like. What, What do you, the audacity to say, right? But in the culture back then, what we're reading, that that's normal. If you're paralyzed, if you're deaf, if you're blind, the assumption is that person has done something wrong or their parents have done something wrong. So think about this. Not only can you not see physically, but now you're carrying this jacket of shame. You're carrying this jacket of, I've done something wrong. And people are physically saying that, you're hearing them say that, or they're distancing themselves from you because you're a sinner. Does that make sense? So this helps us understand just this one verse because that's what this blind person is experiencing. Now, we don't know if he was born blind or if something happened later in life, but the assumption is born blind. But honestly, one way or the other, it doesn't matter because this person has this going on in their life. And so what's cool about this is there's a group of people that have surpassed, overlooked, pressed through what culture says, and they're going to love up on this guy. Is that cool? And they're going to take him to Jesus. That's awesome. Yes? So when we read this, or we continue reading this, in Mark chapter 8, verse 23, he took the blind man by hand. Who's he? You can say it. (laughs) Say it at home. It's Jesus, right? He is Jesus. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And I want to pause again right here. This, this is a sinner. Society has looked at him as a sinner. You have leprosy. You go to the trash heap in, 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 in uh, Gehenna. 
right? I mean, don't touch them. Don't, don't look at them. Make them ring a bell if they have leprosy. Again, this blind man, sinner, stay away from them. And Jesus takes them by the hand. Did you catch that? Jesus, the son of God, doesn't, doesn't do what culture does and say, no, bad, evil, stay away. Jesus does just the opposite and he t- touches the man's hand. He grabs his hand because he knows that's what the man needs. He needs help because he's blind. And he takes him by the hand and he walks with him. And I love that visual because he does the same today. Amen. Did you catch that? He does the same today with us. You may not feel that, but he's there. And some of you are like, don't touch me. But he's still got his hand open. And he wants to walk with us, whatever the season is that we're walking through. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, I think this is kind of funny. You know, as parents, you spend your whole, their childhood saying, don't spit. And if I was smart enough at six years old, I bet Jesus does it, you know. <laughs> Jesus gets to do that, we don't, all right? So he spits on the man's eyes and puts his hands on him, and Jesus asked, what did he ask? Do you see anything? So Jesus touched him, took him by his hand, and this was Jesus then, and it's also Jesus now. And then he asked the question, do you see anything? Then you go to Mark chapter 8, verse 24. He looked up and said, I see people, they look like what? They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. This is interesting to me. He's already healed him. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything what, church? He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. And I ask you again, have you ever experienced a life-changing event? Because if this man was sitting in the purple chairs today, he wouldn't have to even think. He'd be like, me? Yep, yep, yep. Now, I'm not talking life-changing event like all of a sudden Taco Bell brought back my favorite, you know, meal kind of life-changing event. Or just the opposite, you know. Poor Kay Millard who goes to our church, you know. If they took Diet Dr. Pepper off the shelves. I, I, she's, I don't even know if she's in here, but she cringed, right? there. Yep, yep. It's not true, but just if. That could be a life-changing event. You know, Dodgers not going to the World Series. Again. Oh, no. We're not talking about those silly things. I'm talking life-changing event. Going from being blind, not being able to see, to Jesus having an encounter with them, to being able to see, the Bible says clearly. See, when Jesus changes lives, he doesn't do it halfway. That's an amen right there. Come on now. Jesus doesn't do things halfway. And I love that about this story. Mark chapter 8, verse 24. I see people, they look like trees walking around. He gave the blind man sight. These are good things, my friend. There was two healings, I think, that happened. This is just Pastor Rob, okay? We could uh, disagree and both go to heaven. (laughs) I think there's two healings. There's the physical healing. And the physical healing is he can't see, and then Jesus spits and does this kind of stuff, and he opens up his eyes, and he can physically see, right? Clearly, the Bible says. So there's a physical healing. But I also believe there's a spiritual healing that happens. 
You don't, you don't see it written here, but I think that jacket of shame all of a sudden drops to the ground. And I'm going to say something here that, again, we could disagree on, but I think the second healing is more important than the first one. I think the fact that he could see is absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful I could see. But I think what's more important is the jacket of shame that is dropped spiritually from his heart that we don't really get to read about. Have you ever had a life-changing experience. I wrestle with this because sometimes I go, ah, you know, how many times have I told this and yada, yada, yada. But here's the reality. I need to model something for you. You can never overtell your testimony. See, people could argue the Bible with you all day long. They can't argue your testimony. So you may not know all the answers of what Genesis all the way through Revelations talks about, but you know your story. And a testimony is simply this. Who was I before Jesus? How did I meet Jesus? And who am I today? And let me just give you a little hint, and I do the same thing. A lot of times we spend a lot of time on who we were before Jesus and spend like this much who we are after But the life change is the exciting part. And so what I want to do is this, because there still are a lot of people that don't know my story, and there's those of you online. I will just give you a cliff note version. Uh, Last service, I gave the whole thing. I'll give you a cliff note version. Um, I had many opportunities to give my life to Christ growing up as a child. Grew up in the Catholic Church as a good Italian right down the street here, Topango uh, and Sherman Way, right? um, But I only learned, my experience was I only learned to fear God. That's not means all Catholics believe that at all. There's, there's good Catholics out there that love Jesus and all that. But my experience was fear the nun, fear the priest, and fear God. <laughs> In that order, by the way. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that, that kind of, that, that was only a part of my life for maybe the first 10 years of life. And then, you know, my mom and dad got divorced when I was two. So I lived with my mom at first with my sister. And then at seven years old, I automatically, I'm living with my dad and my new stepmom and and step-siblings, and, and so we did the other, every other week thing, and my, my sister, uh, my mom put her in a school called West Valley Christian School. The school had just started, and my sister grew to know, um, love the Lord here, and so when I would come over, she said, hey, you should go to youth group, and this, that, no, that's good for you, Krista. Girls and sports are more important for me right now, and uh, so you fast forward, I graduate high school, she got a really good movie, my mom wants to pay me as a set sitter instead of, you know, just some stranger, and so I'm going to the set every day with my sister and go to, um, back home for, uh, for um, homecoming, see my friends, and then I get back on the freeway about one o'clock in the morning, I'm driving down the 134 with coast, love songs on the coast, right? And uh, with that and a heater, that's not a good mixture of being tired, I fell asleep, going 70 miles per hour, went across all four lanes on the 134 right by Colorado Street, went through the fence, went down the hill, bump, 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 still asleep, and then I woke up just before the Los Angeles River, and um, cars totally smashed in. I'm not going to get all the details, but obviously I got out eventually. I got up there. There's no hole in the fence. I jump over the fence, and uh, back then you don't have a cell phone. Back then we didn't have cell phones. And uh, a dime... You know, and the payphone, cops, all that stuff. 
after getting a breathalyzer and all that, I had not drank, but um, the cop says, hey, uh, you know where you went through? And I said, no, I've been wondering. He, he showed me, and I always forget if it's 200 feet or 200 yards, and he put, showed me the hole in the fence that I went through. But then he says, You're, you were driving on this utility road. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I was asleep. And he goes, well, he goes, see this cement pole? You should be wrapped around it. And he says, but there's skid marks that automatically turned right just in front of that pole. I said, I was asleep. He goes, well, then you better <laughs> thank your lucky stars. And I, I see that as God sparing my life. I should have lost my life that night. And I didn't, I was not awake. And there was an automatic right-hand turn. I wake up the next morning and I say, Krista, <laughs> my sister, tell me about this Jesus. And uh, she said, come to church with me. You know what church I went to? West Valley Christian Church. And I listened to Pastor Kirby share a sermon. The youth pastor took me under his wings. He taught me God's word. And on April 26th, I think it was 1987, I got baptized. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That was a life-changing experience for me. Have you ever had a life-changing experience? You see, just like the blind man, I was blind, but now I see. You see, just like the blind man, my heart was clouded with all this nonsense, all this confusion, all this loneliness, all this, what am I going to do with my life, all this purpose stuff, all that pain from the past. And I had friends, like my sister, and like Darren Skates, and like Bobby Gaskell, who was in the youth group at that time, and they took me to Jesus. Again, I ask you, have you had a life-changing experience. I had the blessing and privilege of being with um, 30 pastors this week for two and a half days straight out there uh, near uh, Peoria, uh, Arizona. And it was intense. It was not like any conference I'd been at. Usually there's hundreds or thousands. It's not worship music. All It's just 30 of us in a hotel room from 8.30 in the morning till five o'clock at night with like a half hour lunch break. We just went at it about ourselves, about the future of the church, about lost and all that. It was, it was good stuff. And uh, two guys I really uh, grew to love and know. One guy just is transitioning into the lead pastor at 31 years old, following the guy before him, kind of like what I did. And he's at a church in Maine. You know there's churches in Maine? <laughs> and then another guy out there in Georgia. And we just connected. And one night we're driving to dinner and uh, they just start telling their stories. Now, I, I share this because their stories were crazy, like literally crazy. I would never have known if I watched them up on a stage or even with them, and, you know, listening about their work in the church, never known. They, they had some crazy stories of what God had done in their life. And why I share that is just simply to remind you, God is still in the business of changing lives today, amen? And God uses all of us. I've shared it over and over again in this series that God takes ordinary people and uses them to do extraordinary things, not to lift up our names, but to lift up his name. And so it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are or how rich you are or how poor you are or how jacked up you are, how messy you are, God loves you. He loves you and wants to use you for his glory. 
And I praise God that these two men are not stuck in that stuff, but they've had this transformation in their lives because simply both of them were talking about, I was focused on myself, I was focused on me, and all of a sudden I fixed my eyes on Jesus. And this is what you're going to hear over and over again this morning. If you walk out of here with nothing on your heart and your mind, it's fix my eyes on Jesus. And all God's people said, and that's what happened in my life. I had so many opportunities. My wrestling coach in high school, man, he, his life transformed before my eyes and he would give testimony about Jesus and they'd be like, okay, coach, that's good for you, but not for me, right? And I had friends in my life. And like I said, my sister, oh, that's good for you, but not for me. I should have died without Christ, but by his grace, I had another opportunity. But here's the deal. I could have walked away from that accident in two different ways. One way, the way in which I did, and I, I opened up my eyes to the things that I was blind to, and I said, I need to stop being about myself, and I need to stop fixing my eyes on myself, and I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. The other option that I had was not even a car accident could take this young guy out. I'm invincible. And I've talked to some of you parents out there when your kids go through some difficult things. I said, your kid's going to either come close to Jesus through this, or it's going to give them the mindset that nothing could touch them. And isn't that true for all of us? So it's a choice that we need to make. John 10.10, I say this all the time. Jesus says these words. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. What does the Bible say? The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Let's say that together. Steal, kill, and destroy. Does that sound like anything you want to be a part of? That's what the devil wants. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Start claiming that for your life. Start owning that for your life. Stop going in the corner and sucking on your thumb saying, life is too hard. Life is beating me up. Life is not fair. Well, yes, it is all those things, but Jesus is for you. And he wants you to have that abundant life. But you got to go to him. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the what? And the life. No one. What does no one mean? It means no one. Guys are so smart. No one comes to who? The Father except through me. Did I make those rules? Is that Pastor Rob's rules? No, it's in the book. Oh, well, pastor, you know, universalism says all roads lead to God and let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and tolerance. No, Jesus just says it. It's me or no. And so I've got to preach it. I can't change what this book says. So, you know, for those that think you wear a certain crystal around your neck, that's going to get you to heaven. It's not. That, 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 that thing that's gold and it's got a big old belly and you put pennies in front of it called Buddha, that's not going to get you to heaven. Gandhi's not going to get you to heaven. Good works isn't going to get you to heaven. All these things that the world wants to say, I'm sorry, it's, it's Christ and Christ alone. So the message is a hard one, but it's the right one. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Well, let's read this. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, our our theme verse for the year. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on what? Fixing our eyes on who? 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him. That means to meditate on him. Chew on that thought. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not, what? Grow weary and lose heart. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road, my friends. This is what matters. And, and, and you know that the NIV, that's what we kind of typically read from, oh, I read from, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a translation, right, of the, uh, the original language, uh, Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. And so there's all kinds of different translations out there. I, love, I really love the NASB, but that's, this one's better for preaching in my opinion. But then there's paraphrases out there, and there's tons of, I want to say hundreds, but that might be an exaggeration. In a paraphrase, it's not bad, but it's not really the original language, and it's kind of more slang, and it's, it's kind of words that help us understand in a simple way. So I don't think it's bad. Like the Message Bible is one of those. And so I looked up this verse for the first time in the Message Bible. May I read it to you? All right, Good. Because I think it's really cool. So the, the one that we just read, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's the message Bible. Now listen to this. Do you see what this means? All the pioneers who blaze the way, all the veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. <laughs> I like that. Strip down. <laughs> start, no, keep yours on, but strip down, start running, and never quit. Like, I get that. It's like, I got a coat right next to me. No extra spiritual fat. No sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. The exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. Is that kind of fun to read that? I mean, it's like, 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 get on with it. Keep going. I know it's hard, but keep your eyes on Jesus and he's going to help you know how you can keep going because he had to keep going. Like, he's the guy to pay attention to. So there we are again. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So here's what I want to do to, to finish off our sermon with the time I have. And um, I've identified three categories of people, all right? And what I want you to do is go, okay, where, which one am I? Am I category one, category two, category three, all right? And then with each one, there's a step that I think we need to take. So again, know that this is done with a lot of grace and, and not judgment. You're the one that's going to pick where you land. So the first person that I've identified is the non-Christ follower. And I pray, not that I, I wish everyone would know Christ, but I do pray that we have people that God has brought you here today. And you don't know Jesus and you don't even know why you're sitting in a purple chair. You're kind of like that blind man and your friends have invited you and brought you. It might have been donuts that got you here. It might have been the harvest festival that got you here. It may have been a deal that you lost that got you here. You know, whatever it is, you're here and friends are bringing you to Jesus or at least the opportunity to hear about Jesus. So again, we're talking about category one, a non-Christ follower. 
Praise God you're here. All of us at some point were non-Christ followers. Amen? All of us, young or old, were at that place where we were spiritually blind. And perhaps we were wearing the jacket of shame. Maybe culture has told us how bad of a person, whatever our life story is, someone came or some group of people came along and said, we love you enough that we don't want you living in hopelessness. We don't want you living in depression. We don't want you living in anxiety. We don't want you to live in discontent. We don't want you to live in addiction. Whatever that thing is, we don't want you living there. So we're going to help bring you to Jesus. And as a church, that's our job, isn't it? So I love West Valley Christian Church. We are not the perfect church. Can I hear an amen on that one? But we are trying to fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep saying love God and love others. That's a good start. I was consulting a church last night that's really struggling right now. And the truth is their leadership have gotten their eyes off of Jesus and they're fixed on each other. They have not been, they're not being the church. They're being a country club. Because country clubs exist for their members. And so I'm on the phone for an hour last night trying to help and advise. And you could pray for that big meeting that they have even today. That is going to maybe help change the direction. But all of us are vulnerable to, right, this. And so as a church, why did, why did we bust our tail for the last who knows how long to have the Harvest Festival here last, uh, last night? Why? I mean, honestly, the older I get, the harder that thing is. We've been doing it for 25 years. Brad, was, Brad Lemon, who's part of our church, he was just a kid back then. Well, maybe not that young. But the joke, that's a joke, but the point is, it, it's hard. And it's a lot of work, a lot of work. But we had over 1,000 people here. And what we figured out is a third of them are probably from our church, a third of them probably from our school, and the other third had nothing to do with our church and school. They're from our community. That's why we do it. It's taking those that are blind, not because they're bad people, but they've just never been taught about Jesus. And if we said, hey, come sit in the purple chairs, they're probably not going to come. But hey, come to a free, safe, fun place where your kids are going to have a blast and ride a, a mechanical bull and play 17 different games and get all this candy and all these prizes and snow cones and all that stuff. They're going to come. You know where you're sitting last Saturday? A week ago Saturday, we, had, we, we brought in an extra 100 chairs. We left 50 of them, and we pulled, so we had an extra 100 chairs in here. Every chair was filled. Along the wall, standing room only. Up there, standing room only. And about 60 people in chairs out in the lobby to celebrate the life of a 17-year-old that overdosed on fentanyl from our church. The next day, right after Sunday services, we had a lady... I think she was just under 60, a part of our church, 99.9% of you have never met her. Her and her 21-year-old daughter, they would sit in the back and they were quiet. And um, we got to celebrate her life. 200 people in here. Why do I share that? Because that's what the church is for. A church is there to give hugs. A church is to celebrate life. The church is there to help those that are mourning and to honor. And this girl was telling me, and I'm not going to get it all right, but, you know, her mom 
uh, was struggling for about eight weeks in the hospital, and they would watch online this service every week. And she says, one, one sermon that you preached particularly, do you remember when I showed the Patch Adams clip? That was only a few months ago. She says, we watched that about eight times in the hospital. And here's my mom that's dying and struggling and in pain. And I said something like, um, I challenge you guys to do an act of kindness. And she would look at her daughter and, and she goes, I want you to tell me every nurse's name. I want you to tell me every doctor's name. I want you to tell me every patient's name that's in my room. And she would write down all the names and she would pray for those people. Is that not amazing, church? That's a quote unquote someone that's blind, potentially the nurse, potentially the doctor, potentially the patient. And here's this lady that's fixing her eyes on Jesus, not the pain and the problems that she's dealing with, and walking them to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's the church, isn't it? And so I think about the blood drive. We have a blood drive here next week. You can sign up afterwards. That's community. That's loving. We've got the Samaritan purse, the gift boxes that we're sending all over the world to kids. That's, that's, that's friends walking. Oh, it's just a gift box. No, I've been in Chile when kids have received those things and told about the, the actual blessing that those things were. I've been in Samoa when kids in a village, in a remote village, received these boxes and talked about how it showed the love of Jesus. Are you with me? Wait till Christmas. We've been quiet about it, but we're going to do something at Christmas that we've never done before. And you are going to be a part of that. And that's going to help us bring those that don't know Christ to Christ. So there's the first category of people, those that are non-Christ followers. And for them, I have this word, Jesus loves you. You know why I know that? Because John 3.16 says that. I also know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. I don't know about you, but it felt good to get rid of the old. (laughs) And it's great being renewed over and over again because transformation is a process. It's not stick yourself in the microwave and pop, you're a Christian, (laughs) right? If you're not a Christ follower, come talk to me today. Go to the Welcome Center and talk to somebody. Reach out to us on the phone. Reach out to us through um, our website. And today is the day to say yes to Jesus. The second person is the lukewarm Christian. (laughs) Raise your hand. No, just kidding. (laughs) Because the truth is, most of us, if we're lukewarm, don't even know it because we're, we're not fixed our eyes on Jesus, not a priority. But I, I hate that statement because it's an oxymoron, right? Those two words shouldn't go together. But the Bible puts them together. Revelation three fifteen and 16. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? That's about the church. And that's about people in the church. And, and, and let, just know this, please hear this, because I struggle with this myself. If you're going to wear the name, live it. Amen. If you're going to wear the name, live it. Like in the sports world, how many people buy the jersey and they can't tell one person that's on the team? Right? You can't tell me the last time they won a champion. You can't tell me the last time they even played a game. You can't tell me squat, but the, cool, the jersey looks cool. Because it lets you fit in at the bar. You know, everyone else is wearing the charger, so I'll wear a charger, right? 
That doesn't usually happen. That's just an extreme example. But you know what I'm saying? You know, stop being CEO Christians. Christ, uh, what is it, Christmas and Easter only? You know, that's, you know it's, 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 it's all the statements that are, are funny, but they're not. And, and please hear me. God's not asking for perfection. Amen? Otherwise, I would not be up on here. I'm just as jacked up as anyone. But I'm graced up too. <laughs> yeah, did you catch that? God loves me, despite me sometimes. But it's like what we need in 2022 is people that say they're Christian to strive and be the Christian. It got really quiet in here for some reason. (laughs) And really, we're just saying simply, Jesus needs to be the priority. And remember, his grace is sufficient for us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says his grace is sufficient for us, all right? So again, you, you mess up, that's okay. Just own it. Just own it. The third person is the Christian. And all I can say to you is keep doing what you're doing. You know, keep falling, keep growing, keep, keep serving, keep doing the things that you know are right. And yes, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me give you a picture of what all this means. The first picture is uh, a person that does not have Christ in their life. And the S stands for self. And all those um, shapes are like job and family and money and stuff, Right. And then the second person is what we talked about, the lukewarm person. Christ is in their life, and there's a little bit more order in their life, but self is still on the throne. And the last person's a Christ follower because Christ is on the throne. He's the priority. He's number one. And when we make him number one, there's order in our life. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but here's what I want to confess to you, and it's not a surprise. I bounce back between number two and number three. How about you? Like, I don't know of anyone that just lives number three other than Jesus himself. But I want to live that third one. But I bounce back and forth. You know what's going to help me to be in that third circle, to be a Christian? Fix my eyes on Jesus. So why is this all important? I want you to listen to something that was written by Paul Harvey in 1965, almost 60 years ago. He wrote this, and you're going to hear him share this. I want you to see how accurate he may be or not. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington, And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media 
fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Over six, uh, about 60 years ago. Jack, Jack, Jack. Why such a hard sermon on Fix Your Eyes and Jesus? I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know we're one day closer. We got to stop messing around. For those of you that are not Christ followers, the challenge is fix your eyes on Jesus. Say yes to him. For those of you that are lukewarm, that maybe you just got a little distracted, it's time to recommit and make Jesus number one. And to those of you that are Christians, keep going. It's worth it. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We know God wins at the end, amen? But we want as many in heaven as possible. Father, thank you. Help us to fix our eyes on you, to make you the priority. Help us to communicate this, not only in our own lives, but to the lives of others. Help us to bring the blind to you so that they could see. In Jesus' name, all God's people say. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.